This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I am going to dive into a topic that I have covered many times in the past. I have a background in constitutional law, which whether or not that serves me well, I'm not sure. Uh, because when you have a background in American history and constitutional law, sometimes you can reason like a constitutionalist as opposed to a Christian. And I, I say that because there is a distinction. You know, when you look at uh, the fact that we have the right to pursue our happiness in the Declaration of Independence, as Christians, one of the first things we do when we come to the cross is lay down all rights. And so we need to recognize that being a Christian and being an American are two distinct things. However, in the American form of government, there are certain possibilities and expressions of liberty that we've been entrusted. And just as Paul is going to appeal to Rome as a Roman citizen, there's certain things that when we are ignorant of them, we don't understand how they work and therefore we will not exercise them and therefore we lose them. And that's part of the tension I face right now as a leader, knowing what I know, but also desiring to be a Christian first, not an American constitutionalist, not one who's fighting for my rights, one that is ready to lay down my rights, one that is ready to be fed to lions, one that is ready to give up my family, one that is ready to give and be spent for the glory of God no matter what that means. At the same time, not to be an idiot. So what does this look like? How does this blend together? I am going to at least go in a crash course in this. There's, since we have such limited time, it's hard because the topic I am going to dig into, I'm going to just skim the surface of it, but I'm hoping that it can begin to build a dialogue and a rapport, a conversation, a language for us as the church. Uh, the two-party system. Uh, this is from what potentially could be a series because you see it says part one, the spiritual biography of a nation. I'm not going to go into what that could mean as much as I'm looking at national issues and how they relate to personal issues. Uh, the Proverbs is written to a king to lead a nation, and yet we appropriate it as individuals for our marriages, our families, our individual lives. It's interesting. And the same thing is true with, with national understanding in Scripture that there is a personal application as much as personal application has a national application because truth is transferable at whatever level or application you could come up with. And so we could rule worlds with the Proverbs just as much as you could rule your thought life. And so it's amazing how the truth of Scripture works. So a two-party system, that should trigger something for all of us that are American because we understand we live in a two-party system. Uh, and uh, many of us, many people have tried to change that, the two-party system, and they try and, you know, Ross Perot comes in and, you know, he tries to run for president, and the third party never seems to work. It just sort of stirs it up and messes up one of the two parties so that that other party's compromised, they lose the election, and the other uh, one of the two parties actually wins. 
So the dynamics of a two-party system, many of us have complained about it throughout our entire life. It's just sort of a reality that exists around us. And in an interesting way, the gospel is based on a two-party system. The kingdom of heaven is based on a two-party system. And I'll go into that at least at a slight level, but you need to recognize there's light and there's darkness. And I'm not trying to infer that in the two-party system in America, there's light and there's darkness, even though some of us say, oh, there sure is. Uh, it's, it's just, it's interesting because things have a tendency to split in half. And uh, when you have evil and you have good, uh, you have flesh and you have spirit, uh, you have this unique dynamic of twos all throughout Scripture. And so if you hear me teach, if you hear me disciple, I'm always going to break it up into twos because God does all throughout the Bible. The Bible is divided into twos. And you see there's law and there's grace. You see that there is a method of, of law which is only going to expose sin, and then you have grace which is going to solve it. And you have the solution in Jesus Christ. And so twos all over the place. But a two-party system, I'm going to go back in early American history to the Battle of the Two Parties. That's not what it was called, by the way. It was called the Seven Years' War to those that were in Great Britain, because it just took forever. Uh, to those that were here in America, it was called the French and Indian War. And uh, so most of us do not spend a lot of time studying this war. However, the dynamic of it is uniquely parallel to what we're going through today, just different uh, pieces, different uh, parties. The two parties in this one were France and Great Britain, and they were vying for control of, guess what? What we know as the United States. And so it was, it was basically a battle over Canada, the northern half of the United States. And guess who's caught in the middle? The, col the, the colonials, the, the colonists, uh, the Americans. We were stuck in the middle of this battle of two parties. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that pleasant for us, is, is the way I could say it. But the American colonies were caught in the middle. Now, I'm creating a parallel because I'm going to talk about something that's happening today, and I'm going to say that a group is caught in the middle of a two-party system. So uh, in 2020, the battle of the two parties, Democrats and Republicans, there is a party that is caught in the middle, and I'm going to just call it the church is caught in the middle. In other words, we're not just like in early American history, the colonists weren't the French and they weren't Great Britain. They were subjects of Great Britain, but some would have said they're subjects of France. In other words, you have all sorts of unique dynamics that are taking place, but because these parties are uh, power hungry, property hungry, they're going to make decisions that are going to affect this other party. In 1765, it was the colonists. In 2020, it's the church. And we are just sort of caught in the meat grinder here because of politics. And so how do the colonists respond? I'm not even going to try and endorse their response. It's ultimately going to lead to a revolution, right? However, what you're going to see is a lot of the same reasoning points from the church and how they're trying to deal with these situations. At what level do we say no? At what level do we say, no, that is inappropriate? No, that is unconstitutional? Do you know that in 1765, before the Constitution, as we understand it, was even drafted, they are going to term things as unconstitutional because they still had a Constitution. It just wasn't the Constitution that we have now. They were still going to appeal to law. So 1765 is going to bring about an event, which is called the Stamp Act, a very boring name. If I was going to, I almost named this message the Stamp Act, and I was like, that is the most boring name for anything I could ever think of. The Stamp Act, I wish I could come up with a, a better, more flowery title than that for this huge event in American history, but 
After the Seven Years' War, that's how uh, the British are going to refer to it, they finally defeat the French, and now Canada falls into British hands, okay? So big events, big occurrence, and finally France is ousted from the United States. Get out of here. You're not around. Canada, get out of here. So now peace reigns, whew, after seven years. And so uh, King George III is now bankrupt. Uh, he's, He's spent a wad of money on trying to seize these territories and get France out of his territory. And so Parliament comes up with the brilliant idea of taxing the colonists for the war to gain all this territory for the British. Okay, so you can just imagine how the colonists are going to feel about this. It's like, excuse me, that was your war, not ours. Why do you think you can tax us? And up to this point, there had been no taxation without some form of vote for the colonists. The colonists could institute their own taxes, but they couldn't have taxes instituted from another party that they had no say in. Okay, so this is just the understanding of government at the time was representative. And so the Stamp Act is going to stomp on that, that liberty of, hey, we can, we can be taxed. We're not against being taxed. It's just that we need to choose to be taxed. We don't like it when you choose to tax us. And that's the Stamp Act. And you could say, who is in charge of the colonies? And in a certain sense, Great Britain has a say in the colonies. But in another sense, the colonies are going to say, but you don't have a say in that area. And so as a result, we're going to see a transgression, or at least perceived by the colonists, that King George is overstepping his boundaries. So in 2020, we can call it the Quarantine Act. I could have called this the Quarantine Act. That would have been a good title too. And the key question that is coming up, just like back then, who is in charge of the colonies? Who gets to make decisions for how the colonies are going to behave? The colonies have money. We want that money. Does Great Britain just have the ability to come in and say, we want all your money? Is that the way it works? Or can the colonists say, no? Uh, I mean, that's part of the tension that was happening in 1765. In 2020, we're dealing with a very unique situation here. Because, and I remember sitting down with our, our pastoral team before this started when it was very first inaugurating that churches are going to be requested not to gather. It was like, whoa, this is unprecedented territory. In my entire lifetime, I've never heard of that. And in my understanding of American history, I've never heard of that particular thing, even though in the Spanish flu, churches didn't meet for just wisdom purposes for a little stretch of time. Okay, I can understand that, but where it's mandated, whoa, how, how, do, how do I respond to that? Because quarantines up until this point have been the people that are infected get quarantined. It's not the society gets quarantined from all the people that could be infected. And so it was a flip for all of us. And so even as a pastoral team, we agreed this wasn't violating our conscience. It seemed to be wisdom at the time. Okay, we'll heed it, but let's be on guard. Let's be very, very watchful of what this is because we don't know what motivation could be behind this. It's, you know, as Christians, we're always like extra sensitive to motivations that could be hidden. It's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And so in the beginnings of this, it's like, okay, we'll do what we can to keep our nose clean and to show the proper respect points. But then as this progressed, it, it starts to create a ripple effect for us as leaders. It's like, wait a minute, are, what, if they, what if they say that for the public health, this should go on for two years? At what point do we actually say, no, that's actually inappropriate? We need to make these decisions for ourselves. We are competent individuals, and we can lead our own little organization here in such a way that could be honorable and protected. So who's in charge of the church? 
I'm going to give some options for that. So if we say the Church of Jesus Christ in, the country, in this country, who's in charge of it? So this is like a little quiz for us. The federal government is A. B, the state governors. C, the CDC. D, the federal judges. E, the Supreme Court, which of course could be part of the federal government. F, the local municipalities like Windsor, uh, Fort Collins. Uh, G, all of the above. H, none of the above. I, I have absolutely no clue. So in this, some of you might be disappointed because there's very fine levels of conclusion you could come to. I'm not going to come to the fine levels of conclusion as much as give us reasoning points to hopefully land with some solid conclusions. I'm going to give you the correct answer to this. It depends. Doesn't that drive you crazy? It Give me an answer, Eric. I just want a legal answer. Actually, that's why it's challenging. Because it isn't just a very easy way to address it by saying, hey, the government has nothing to do with the church. Because that's an easy way of saying it. However, the church is in a building which is on land. Okay, that land is parceled out and is part of a municipality. That municipality is part of a county. That county is part of a state. That state is a part of a federal system. And as a result, there are laws that govern these systems. We are on a piece of property that has laws governing it. Who came up with those laws? Not the church. We don't just define our own laws for zoning here just because we're the church. Hey, get out of here, uh, state. You have nothing to do with our parcel. Well, it does have something to do with our parcel. However, it doesn't have anything to do with the message I'm giving you right now. So at what point do we see that line drawn? So it depends. Let me give you some examples of how it could depend, okay? A, are there sufficient parking spaces? So actually, the church should make wise decisions on creating sufficient parking spaces when it builds the facility, right? However, there is a municipality, local, like the town of Windsor, who actually is going to have an opinion on that. And as the church, we submit to that, that there are governing laws that say for this much occupancy, for the safety of roads and, and travel and where, where, how the flow of traffic works in a neighborhood, that there needs to be sufficient parking. If you're going to have 300 people in a building, then you need to have sufficient parking to supply for that. Does that make sense? Is that something that, that's why I say it depends. Who's in charge? Well, in that situation, it'd probably be the local municipality. Is this property zoned for a church building? Well, there's, an, there's another one. This is a church. This is a church property. However, there's a zoning, and it can be misused. And zoning is actually not a bad thing. It's to protect environment. In other words, if you are in a neighborhood and no one cares about zoning, someone could just stick an oil well right smack in the middle of your neighborhood, right in your park. And so there you are, and you're going with the kids down to the park, and there's this oil rig uh, there. It's like, what's this doing here? Well, we don't have zoning anymore. You can do whatever you want. So a guy came in and bought up this park, and now he's stuck in an oil well. And you could be like, that's ridiculous. Why would anyone do that? Well, that's what we protect against with zoning. So zoning has a certain mindset. A lot of us get mad at zoning. But it has a mind behind it that is actually to protect and to help, right? And that's part of civil government's responsibility, not the church's. The church isn't responsible for protecting that park from an oil well being placed there. Are the bathroom facilities up to code? Again, this is something where we as the church could say, get out of our bathrooms. They have nothing to do with civil government. At the same time, in the construction of it, there are certain codes that are, we're responsible to maintain. And if we do, there's peace, right? If we don't and we snub our nose at the uh, local 
governments that come up with their code issues and their ridiculous inspectors that come out and make it hard for us because we're the church, you know, because we always think that. You know, in other words, there are certain overlaps. What time should the church service start? Whose responsibility is that? Well, if the government starts poking its nose in on what time we start, that gets weird, okay? Now, there could be things like curfews, like don't make a lot of noise after 10, okay? And that might be hard for us as a church because we start singing our hallelujah chorus right at 10.05. And that could create an overlap and a dimension of challenge, which is where we need to be respectful and honorable and think those things through. Uh, who should be the pastor? You know, in other countries like China, the three-self church has government-appointed pastors. And the government's appointed or government-previewed sermons, okay? In other words, this is a step beyond the way we would look at it in America. We say, no, no, the church actually has its own autonomy to be able to choose its own pastor. The government can't tell us who can be a pastor and who can't. What soteriological viewpoint is taught here? You don't need to worry about if you know what soteriological viewpoints are. It's just that that is a study of science of salvation. Is that something for the government to tell us what soteriological viewpoint we should have uh, in a church? What's the church's view on homosexuality? You see, when the government comes in and begins to influence these things, it is crossing over a boundary because that clearly belongs to the church itself. How many people are allowed in this building? Well, that's an interesting one because as the church, we could say, well, as many as can fit. And the local municipality might say, actually, you cannot crest, according to this one, 377. And so as a result, there's a certain point where the church shows deference and respect back to the local governing laws because they are given to protect for fire code and various things. There's wisdom behind them. At the same time, we have freedom to have 377, if that makes sense, which is way more than I think you could even fit in here, so I'm not exactly sure where that number came from. Should the church attending, should, should those attending church wear masks? Whew, now we're getting a little more delicate, aren't we? In other words, if the church were to prescribe that everyone needs to wear a mask, then what? If, what if we're in a church building? Does that, does that make it so we don't need to wear masks? Those are questions we've never had in all of history. So as a result, this is new territory for us. Should people, should church people social distance? Okay, now th this is territory that is unique because you're dealing with civil issues, just like fire code, mixing with the church. Okay, now there's one thing to, for me to be asked to speak, I think Philip's illustration this week was on Hebrews chapter seven. And it's like the, church, the government mandates that all churches preach on Hebrews chapter seven this week. That would just be weird. And all of us would be like, what are you, that has nothing to do with you. You have no say in what I'm going to preach in the, in the church service. At the same time, do they have say on if we social distance? And I, I'd say that's part of what has been challenging in this stretch of time. This is new territory. The biblical flow of authority. Civil government uh, is different than other forms of government. And so God is going to outline how civil government works. Civil government is a is a biblical concept, number one. It is a God concept, number two. God is the one that created government. He's the one that carries it on his shoulders. God is the one that administers authority. He's the one that comes. All authority comes from him. And so as a result, we recognize that all governments, whether they acknowledge God or not, are still under God. Okay, so a biblical worldview on government is still going to establish God at the center, even if you're the uh, Chinese government and you don't even acknowledge that there is a God, well, 
China, the Chinese government is still under God, okay? So that, that makes it a little difficult when you're a Chinese church <laughs> trying to appeal to God. That, that doesn't really work in their system, but it's still a fact. And then you have underneath that rulers, king uh, for some countries, law in our country. Our country is actually not ruled by the president of the United States. It's ruled by the Constitution. It's ruled by law. And as a result, even the president of the United States is under that law. Did you know that? That's actually one of the founding principles of our country is that we can hold all of our representatives, all of our leaders accountable to something higher. In the countries that, for instance, Great Britain at the time, everyone was under the king. And the king could get away with whatever nonsense he wanted. Meanwhile, he could hold everyone to his law. And so it was what we could consider a double standard, and it's dangerous because, as it's been said in the past, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's not a biblical statement, but it is a true one. And so then from that, you have delegates. The king has power, or the Constitution has power, to appoint different people. And so as a result, we respect those people because that law, which is under that God, is actually empowering those people to make laws and to rule and to enforce and to do what delegates do. A delegate simply means someone who has received authority from someone else, okay? So, and then man, this is us. Underneath, we, we, we are going to respect our local governments who is under our federal governments or under our state governments, and so we have a flow chart of authority. And But everyone still is going to stem to God. So therefore, just look at this real quick. What if what one of the delegates asks us to do violates what God asks us to do? Or what if it asks us to violate the law? Well, then we have to appeal higher. And that's what you're going to see in Scripture. You're going to see Peter and John, when the high priest says to them to not preach in the name of Jesus, they're going to appeal higher and say, well, but we still are under God first. Okay, so you're going to understand that in a healthy government, we will submit to king and law, we will submit to delegates, but that's with the expectation that they're asking us to do things within the parameters of conscience, that which still pleases the king. Like if the delegate asks us to do something that goes against the king or against the law, we're going to say, no, I can't do that. I'm going to appeal to the king. However, if any of the king or law or the delegates asks us to do something that violates God, then we're going to still appeal higher to God. So the American flow of authority is similar to this. It just has some nuance to it. So God is going to be the primary source of law giving, and even the founding fathers are going to esteem that and recognize that, and you're going to institute something known as the Constitution, which is another creative way of saying law, the law for our land. And then that is going to allow for what we call elected representatives. But the other thing that I can't put in here because it's a, more of a confusing chart is something like state government, okay? Because states are like individuals, like we have 50 individuals underneath this constitution that all have a responsibility and a liberty themselves to function as long as they don't violate the other states. And a lot of that was violated in the Civil War when Lincoln, with his Emancipation Proclamation, overruled all the southern states. Okay, so we have certain things that have shifted over time most of us are happy that Lincoln did it. You know, if you were to ask us, are we glad that he emancipated the slaves? Like, absolutely. However, he also overstepped constitutionally states' rights. And so that was, that's why one of, one of the challenges with my background in constitution with what Trump did on Friday, which I really appreciated, when he's saying, all of you churches, gather. Uh, 
and he's, over, he's overruling all states, uh, I'm like staring back going, yay, meh. It reminds me of the emancipation of slaves uh, with Lincoln. I really like Lincoln's decision. That was good, Lincoln. However, boy, we are violating some other rights, and that's why it's tricky in a time like this to be able to evaluate how to look at it. But God, Constitution, elected representatives, we could say states, and then delegates. So these are the ones, like for instance, in our state, we have a whole bunch of people underneath the state government, or then even at the local level, the county level. We have a flow of authority down to us. And so in a situation like this, one of the things that is important for us to recognize is that we can appeal higher. And there is a law of, and there is a religious freedom, something that cannot prohibit us from gathering in the very core of our constitution, which is why this is creating a stir and a difficulty for us as a church. It's like, we want to submit, we want to live peaceably with all men, but at the same time, we feel it's essential that we gather. Jurisdiction, the decision territory over which someone has say. So juris, meaning a territory of legal authority, diction, speech. So we have a territory, a decision territory over which someone has say. The body of Eric Ludi, who has say? Well, Eric Ludi, right? I have, who has say over my thought life? Well, I do. Who has say over what my right hand does? I do. This is called self-government. Okay, now let's, I get married and I have a family. Who has say over my home? Well, uh, daddy does, right? And so as a result, if you come in and try and discipline my kids, it feels weird. It just does. It's like, well, why is that wrong? Have you ever been disciplined by someone else's parents and it's just like you feel violated? Because it's incorrect. It violates a clear jurisdiction. And when someone encroaches upon another jurisdiction, it's just wrong. It's like, hey, mind your own business. It doesn't mean the person is, you know, you had to beat them up. It just means, yeah, hey, buddy, could you stay away? You don't belong here. So four different decision territories. There's civil, which is what we were just talking about, which is the, you know, the federal government, the state government, the local government. Family government, which is still a form of government as recognized biblically, God established it. In fact, God established that before he established civil government in this world. This is, this is where it started. Church government and self-government, all recognized in our country, okay, as separate governing entities. So let's go through a little quick test. Should little Joey clean up his bedroom? Whose government, whose decision territory is that? Is that the church? Like imagine one of your kids gets a little out of line, has a dirty bedroom. Do you think it's appropriate for me to say, you need to go home right now and clean your room, otherwise you don't have lunch? I was pointing to the Smiths over there too, so I want you guys to listen to that. That would be an encroachment. That would be me overstepping my position because in here, I may be the pastor. I may have authority in this environment, but it's, my authority is limited to this environment and to the purposes of this environment, which is not to rule your family. I am not in charge of how you handle your own disciplining of your children unless it begins to step outside the boundaries of biblical discipline and becomes harmful, then I actually have a say and so does the civil government have a say because there's a violation of something else that is taking place. Should Pastor Mike preach on Romans 9? Who's, whose governance is that? Well, that would be the church's government. That has nothing, it'd be Pastor Mike's uh, decision too. Or if Pastor Mike is submitted for all of his decision making, it could be an eldership in the church. In other words, those are different forms of government. But it'd be really weird if President Trump told Pastor Mike to preach on Romans 9. 
You could have a respect for President Trump, but that's weird. He has nothing to do with it, unless he requested, hey, Mike, I'm going to be coming to your church on Sunday. Would you please, for me, preach on Romans chapter 9? That's different. That's a request. That's not a command. Number C, should the, number C, letter C, should the U.S. go to war against Japan? That's definitely not a church decision. That's not a self-governing decision unless you happen to be the president of the United States and the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. But even the commander-in-chief has to submit to Congress. And so as a result, this is definitely a, a civil uh, matter, not a, uh, a church matter or, or anything, or a family matter. Should the guy driving 60 miles per hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone be pulled over and ticketed? Okay, could you imagine you just decide as you're driving down the road, this guy needs to be ticketed. You like have this light you stick on your, you see, and pull him over and say, you're getting a ticket. Uh, like, who are you? I'm a local guy who feels strongly about going five miles an hour over the speed limit and you did it. Uh, okay, that's just inappropriate. Uh, should Veronica get her hair cut? Whose jurisdiction is that? Okay, it could be her mom's. <laughs> But very likely, as Veronica grows up, it's Veronica that decides when she gets her haircut, okay? And there's a few people that probably need haircuts, but it's not your say of when they get a haircut or how they get a haircut or what their hair should look like. Should little Danny chew with his mouth closed? Okay, we're definitely dealing with family government here, guys. Should the state of Colorado raise its sales tax? Civil government. Should the Ludies turn their AC unit on today? You may come over to the house and think the Ludies need to turn their AC on today. However, it's still a family government issue. And so to encroach upon it is actually a violation. If you just come in and open up our refrigerator and start taking stuff out and turn on the AC, you know, and lower it down to 55 degrees, you do what you want in someone else's environment. It actually feels weird. The creepy neighbor that defines your kid's diet. At what point does it become wrong to do nothing? So imagine you have this neighbor who is very fanatical about their cigarette diet. You know that there was something known as the cigarette diet? Uh, the cigarette diet, if you smoke uh, cigarettes, the nicotine uh, is like a restriction upon your appetite. And so imagine that this person is like, this is so good. The looty kids, they can't gain weight. I mean, we, we just need to make sure that they don't become one of those obese statistics in our culture. And so they start coming over and giving my kids cigarettes uh, during the day. And you could say, that's totally inappropriate. That's right, because it's someone who has no business telling my kids how to eat or what to do that is actually influencing my kids and supplying them with something. And so what is it right to do? Look at my subline. And what, at what point does it become wrong to do nothing? So if I allow my neighbor to come in and begin to define for my household how my kids are going to eat, at first I might feel awkward like, eh, okay, kids, you could take the cigarette, but just sort of put it in the trash after you're done, right? But if this person starts mandating, they start policing it, and like, excuse me, but did you have your cigarette today? At what point do I finally say, look, this has actually nothing to do with you. I define my kid's diet, not you, okay? There's something called the Sleeping Beauty Diet where they took... Uh, sedatives to fall asleep because they figured out that when you sleep, you don't eat. And so actually you can lose weight. Elvis Presley went on a three-day medical-induced coma so he could lose weight. So what, could you imagine if someone comes into my house and says, I have the solution for your kids? Butt out, bud. That is not your territory. To define my kid's diet, even if I make bad decisions, okay? Now, my family happens to eat a little better than most, so that's probably not the problem my family's going to have. But imagine that I was feeding my kids sugar, 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 sugar all day long. Technically, it is still the choice of my home, even if it's not the wisest decision, if that makes sense. 
And so as a result, there could be an expert down the road that knows a lot better how to do it, but it's still not their business. It is still my responsibility to make those decisions. Encroachment, intrusion on a person's territory and or rights. King George's encroachment, the Stamp Act in 1765, which didn't go over so well, then he's going to try and continue to press his agenda, and he's going to issue this Townsend Acts, which are going to be taxation on different goods, and again, this is going to ultimately lead to the Revolutionary War, exactly what I'm showing you on the screen. And then the Tea Act, remember the Boston Tea Party? It's like, no way can you do that. This is taxation without representation. This is not your business. King George III, we love you, and we would be submitted to you, but you are actually encroaching upon a territory that is not yours. Okay, now I'm not going to try and endorse the Revolutionary War. I'm not going to say how I would respond back then because I wasn't back then. And I can't tell you what the state of the church was, what the state of the spiritual climate was. A lot of it could be a fleshly reaction. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just put that out on the table that though I'm happy with the fact that we were freed from Great Britain, I'm happy with the results, I'm happy with the Declaration of Independence, I'm happy with the Constitution, I've studied it for years, I know a lot about it, I think it's an amazing thing, I love American history. However, that doesn't mean all of those behaviors uh, should be backed. And the more I've studied King George and Parliament, I can actually get inside of their mind and understand. Just like if I were to look at uh, Governor Jared Polis here in the state of Colorado and put myself in his position, you know, I could, if I'm trying to be Jared Polis and I, and I have his viewpoints, I could understand why he's coming to the conclusions he's coming to. I don't think it's without rationale as much as it might be an encroachment over territory that is perceived by us as the church. And so that's part of the tension that we face. Paul the Apostle says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere, which is a jurisdiction, which God appointed us, a sphere or a jurisdiction which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. It's like what a parent would say. Look, I am not overextending the fact that I'm asking you to clean your room. I am the one in charge of this house. I am over you as a parent. You need to clean your room. That's what Paul is saying to the church. You see, there is very clearly understood jurisdictional territories that we are responsible for. When we are responsible for a territory, we need to care for it. Hudson's summer spot. So back in uh, summer of 2011, Hudson had a log and it had some blue chalk on it. And I was cleaning up for some students coming over and I stuck the log somewhere. And he goes, hey, where's my summer spot? And I said, your summer spot? He said, it's a log with a, you know, some blue chalk on it. I go, that was your summer spot, huh? Oh, yeah, well, what's a summer spot? He goes, I sit on it and I mind my own business. That's, that's what he does on his summer spot. He sits on it and minds his own business. I was thinking, boy, we all need a summer spot. The secret to minding your own business well. First, define what your business, your decision territory is. Every single one of us needs to know what our territory is so that we can defend it, so that we can stand for it, Right? So I'm going to give you some first orders of business. The first order of business, make a firm decision on Jesus. You're responsible for your soul. And so therefore, the first thing that you must do is make a key decision because that's what jurisdiction is. It's decision for a territory. You have a territory, you must make a decision for it. This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. That's John 6, 29. And the second order of business, your own plank. So what you're going to see Jesus say in Matthew 7 and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If we are going to see clearly in this time, 
We cannot remove the speck from civil authorities. We must allow God to remove the speck from the church. That way we'll be able to see clearly our jurisdiction. We'll be able to stand with, for it in love and in the Holy Spirit so that we do not violate the rest of Scripture while standing for our rights. We are Christians first. We are not just free Americans first. We must make a decision in our soul for Jesus, make sure he is Lord. Then we must remove the plank and allow the Spirit of God to convict us of anything in our own life. Then we can begin to see clearly. And the third order of business is seek to save. Our third order of business is not, finally I get my freedom and I'm going to fight for it. The reason we're here is to seek and save the lost. The reason we're here, and I don't care if we have to go into prison cells to do it. Our job is to seek and to save. It's to give up our lives. It's to seek another's wealth, not to seek our own. And so as a result, a lot of us as Americans think, me first, my situation is first, I'm an American, I have rights. And as a result, we lose track of why we've been given these rights. We have been given something in America, and I think we should steward it. But why are we stewarding it? The two-party system, flesh and spirit. You're in the midst of a two-party system right now. Your soul is. You got the bait of the flesh, and you have the wooing of the Holy Spirit. If God has entrusted us with rights, we ought to know them. We ought to cherish them. You know that we have the liberty to meet in this country according to the Constitution, and we cannot be prohibited from it. That's an incredible right. Do we even know it, and do we cherish it? We ought to use these rights, and not for our own gain, but for the salvation of others. In other words, if we are using these things according to the Holy Spirit, then we are going to leverage the rights we have for the season we have them, because I'm not going to promise you that they're going to last forever. And we should leverage them for the salvation of a lost and dying world, not for our own pleasure. I just really like being in church and I don't like being quarantined. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that. But if you were in prison for the gospel, you'd be quarantined. In other words, quarantine goes with the package of being a Christian. However, we have rights right now and knowing how to exercise those, but with the love of Jesus and in accordance with the Holy Spirit is the way that we want to go after these issues. For our families, for our homes, for our churches, that we would understand the world in which we live, the times in which we live, and I do not want us just to have a revolutionary war because that sounds fun. I want us to stand appropriately but lovingly. We are gathering together today because I believe this is our jurisdiction. It is our jurisdiction to be wise and to understand the threats around us, and within the wisdom of those threats, to make a decision. Not to allow someone else from the outside to say, no, you can't because of this, which unfortunately has already been proven to basically be nonsense. And so I am struggling as a pastor to do nothing when I have a right to do something for the edification of the body, but not so that we can just be together, but so that we can be stirred unto good works, so that we can be stirred unto giving the life of Jesus outward. That's what I want to do. I do not want to waste this. If we're going to stand for something, I want to stand for the right reasons. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So therefore, though 
we may have a position to appeal to Caesar in this situation, to appeal to the Constitution, to appeal to something higher. The way in which we do it is of the utmost importance. To show respect and honor. If Governor Polis was here, I would honor him. And I would show as much deference as I could. I would. If he asked me to do something that went against my conscience, then I'd have to say, sorry, Governor, I can't do that. But to that degree, to that point, I would show him honor. And even if he asked me to do something, I would still show him honor. I just couldn't obey it. And so as a result, it's not a disrespect to our leadership. It is an honor to our leadership, to take care of our leadership. I think we should be praying for our leadership. I think we should find ways to wash the feet of our leadership. It's hard doing what they do, just like it's hard doing what we do. It's challenging to know how to navigate through these things, but each of us needs to Grab a hold of these truths and exercise them in our own soul and not be passive in a time like this. What we saw is that the people, the nations of this earth, were swayed very quickly by this thing and were like putty in the hands of government. And what we have to be watchful of is that in every season of earth's history, there has been opportunity for the church to give up and forsake its position and for the church to rise up and claim its position. And many Christians oftentimes have been preserved and protected because they did nothing. And they went along with government. And there's other ones, you know, the classic illustration, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the confessing church in Nazi Germany, that said, I can't go along with that. I need to stand for truth. It is inappropriate what is happening to the Jewish people. And as a result, he was hung. We recognize that there are consequences to how we navigate through this decision-making grid but we must navigate it and we must be prepared and armed with truth and love as we do it. Father, we need your wisdom and we need it now. We pray for our governing authorities and we ask that you would give them grace and wisdom, that you would steer them, steer their hearts and direct them like a water course. Lord, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on the nations around this world that are struggling with similar challenges. Have mercy on your church and give us wisdom. Give its leaders wisdom. May this not be a point of contention amongst us as Christians, but may it be a point of uniting. Lord, we love you and lean on you now. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.